Well, he told my story. <laughs> he told his. Hell, we can go dance. Cutting right straight through the band. They're already out there in the alley. I saw them hooking it, getting ready to hook it up. They're hooking it up out there. Thank you, GT, and the committee for inviting me, I think. <laughs> and Harold and Missy. We had to get Missy in the room to pray for us a while ago, because we knew Harold and I were in trouble already. Bill picked me up, because Harold was supposed to. <laughs> and Bill didn't hear Pearl right, so he was 20 minutes late, but so was the plane. So we met at the right time. Never seen each other, but he said, are you Jim? And I said, yeah, are you Bill? He said, yeah. <laughs> Nothing we can do about it. Nobody else warned us. <laughs> He's talking about people know each other. We're the only some bitches that look like we're lost. That's what's wrong. <laughs> Nobody's claiming anybody. You know, it's us. I'm glad we got to Pearl, though. It's worth going through Harold and Bill to get to Pearl. <laughs> Didn't like it too much. First, we all had a wreck right outside the airport, which is fine, sober. And the only thing wrong is we had the right blinker on, we went straight. <laughs> which I understand that, except that new Mercury didn't. Here she comes. I said, Bill, you better stop here. And we did. And then I got back off the windshield. And... <laughs> but then, boy, we got the pearl. And we had turnip greens. I'm not talking about store-bought turnip greens. I'm talking about turnip greens. Uh, hell, I hadn't had any of those in years. Even the Texas, you know, they're wind-blown. <laughs> we had catfish that knew how to fry it. Cornmeal like it's supposed to, not a bunch of junk on it. And, of course, cornbread. <clears throat> and you had the other nice stuff, but that was the real stuff. And they all waited till I finished my second helping. But I'm on a diet, so I've got it short. <laughs> then last night, I got invited out to go on a little trip. It's about a five-block trip, I guess. Uh, we took the car, which I thought was smart, right up front. <laughs> and for this bunch, I wasn't, after we got in the car, I wasn't too sure. The driver was going to go to uh, Baskin-Robbins. But the driver's wife was going to Shoney's. And, of course, they communicate very well. We've got one native with us. And then, of course, Kitty Lou was long, and Jack and I were just innocent. <laughs> so we're turning left, and Margaret says, Robert, turn right. And there's a police car here, and we've stopped everybody behind the damn police car to turn left. Then when we get to turn right, here comes all these other cars. Then the police car starts seeing us screwed up and half drunk. So he starts blinking his lights at us. I said, my God, we're going to jail sober just sure as hell. <laughs> then we finally get over there, get across the street. All the cars get, everybody's waiting on us to get over here. They stop everything. <laughs> then we get over there, and then on the way back, somebody says, let's take a shot. <laughs> Robert says, which way from here? She couldn't say anything. 
I said, my God, the only one that knows the way can't talk. <laughs> I love to run around sober with alcoholics. And we think since we're not drinking, we're okay. We can't even go to shoties, for God's sake. The living miracle. I could just see us calling from jail last night. I'll come get us. Well, I had to come all the way out here to hear John and Doris from Texas, which is normal for us. Show it both of you. Uh, John told me he was going to get her a watch. I don't know why. We don't need to know the time. We're not going anywhere. And if we are, we don't know what to do after we get there, so it doesn't make a hell of a lot of difference. And I really enjoyed Kathy. Today, I, I wouldn't have stayed with him if I'd have been you, but that's just your deal. <laughs> and I guess if I'd been Catholic, I'd have had all those kids, but I <laughs> At least I'll tell you what, darling. You sure came out good to have all those kids. I'll guarantee you that. See how you're still pretty sure, but you did good. I guess they just do it better than Ohio when they do it. Down. Texas, they look a little worn when they do that. <laughs> well, we better get this thing started here if we're going to have something. Which I doubt very seriously. But we've got to do something between now and the dance. Because they don't like to just have the dance, which is, I know what y'all are here for, the dance. But I am Jim Williams, now I'm an alcoholic. And I'm really not supposed to be an alcoholic. Hell, I don't look like an alcoholic, do Hell, I just, I got a little gray-headed from worrying a lot, but, hell, I'm supposed to be a southern, southern, southern Baptist. You know, we're the ones that pray for the Catholics. They drink, you know. And of course, the Presbyterians, they knew it was going to happen. Episcopalians, they just got tired of being Catholics. And the Methodists, they just didn't like water. I think I'd like to be a Lutheran. They believe in doing everything just a little bit. I was raised in one of these dry counties out there in Texas between Dallas and Amarillo. And where the wind blows, and they don't believe in doing nothing. And they wouldn't do nothing if they get by with it. They don't believe in dancing because you got a whole women. In fact, we had a hard time having children. <laughs> if they'd had that new deal where you mail it, <laughs> they'd have just never done it. And they had a guy standing up there like me says, if you think it, you might as well have done it. Hell, I was thinking it. I didn't even know what it was, but I knew I must be thinking it. And they say, sing that last stanza for that one right back there. Hell, they point at you. You know, it's not like a, a says, oh, Bill in the ditch last night. If he lives, we'll get him. And this bunch, they hone in on you. They see you getting ready to get that gleam in the eye. They know you're going to think it. Do you think that you're going to do it? <clears throat> Cut him off right there. Don't let him get there. Well, I hung around there in that Baptist church till I was about 13, which will happen to you if you do what I was doing one day at a time. Got in this car with that girl after school, and I got those funny feelings. And I told them about it. They said, we've been meaning to talk to you. See, I knew that. You know we've been praying for you. Yeah. What you need to do is get saved. 
I said, what from? Hadn't done nothing. They said, meet us before the funeral service. So I met them before the service. And we got in there and prayed. And he said, now when they sing that song, you come down the aisle. So I waited the last stanza. And they pointed at me. And here I come. And it's kind of like a except don't give out any chips. <laughs> and they hug you and kiss you and tell you how great you are. And of course, you know you're not. But hell, I liked it. Then they throw you in the tank and the handkerchief flakes. You choke a little. Let you come out all right. Went to school the next day and saw that girl. Came right back. I told him, I said, we're going to have to do it again. It didn't take. They said, no, you just don't do it. Well, they didn't know. I didn't know how to don't do anything. I didn't know I didn't know how to don't do anything. I didn't know if they could just say, don't do that. They didn't do it anymore. I said, how do you don't do it? Don't think about it. I said, I wonder why I didn't think about that. I thought, well, I've been thinking about it all day. It's only 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I'll go ahead and think about it the rest of the day. Then when I get up in the morning, I'll never think about it again. Got up the next day, I thought about it more than ever, thought about it for in my life. I had no idea that I'm the kind of guy when I start not to do something, I'm going to do it all the time. When I start not to think about it, that's all I'm going to think about. I used to try to wake up real quick before I thought about it. <laughs> Finally got out of high school. I had a hard time going to high school. I'd run around with those kids. I'd go with kids' places. And just, I didn't want to go, but I wanted to, they didn't like me enough. And I'd go so they'd like me. They never liked me enough. And I never could get the girl I wanted. Somebody else always had the one I wanted. And my folks would look at me and they'd say things to people like, Jimmy would never want to do that. Yeah, I did too. Already done it once. Getting ready to do it again. <laughs> they'd say, Jimmy wants to do that. No, I didn't either. Everything they knew I wanted to do, I didn't want to do it. Everything they do, I wouldn't be caught their favorite phrase, dead doing. I was already doing it. I heard about this little town that was wild and wicked. Finally got out of high school. Had a hard, had to go to summer school to get out of high school. I don't think I was dumb. I was just busy. You know, a guy said, hey, I talked to you yesterday and spoke to you. You didn't speak to me. You're sitting in the car. And I thought I was having a meeting. He said, but there wasn't anybody in there but you. I thought, God, how many do you need? So I'd heard about this little town that had these honky-tonks, and I had not been to honky-tonk, but I heard it was a great place to go. So uh, as for, on one Saturday, as for I knew you could do it during the week. <laughs> we took a bath, and this guy and I jumped in the car, and over there we go. God, we opened the door of that honky-tonk, and the first guy I saw was that deacon I'd seen every Sunday all my life. He had a warm girl in one hand and a cold beer in the other. Happier than I had ever seen him. <laughs> and I liked the girl he was with on Saturday night a lot better than what he was with on Sunday morning. <laughs> I thought deacons were just sad because I saw him sad every Sunday morning. Now I know, hell, he's just tired. <laughs> I told this guy, I said, listen, let's get out of here. He'll tell Jesus on us. And we didn't even get to do it. You know, if you get caught before you do it, you ought to just forget it. This guy said, well, he can't tell anybody. I said, hey, he's got a better shot with Jesus than I do. We had two beers, didn't taste good, didn't feel good. He did not recognize us at all. And we got out of there, and I was glad to get out of there. Didn't taste good, didn't feel good, and nothing happened to me. And the next morning, I got up and wanted to go to church first time in my life. I said, you know, I'll bet he hadn't been going. I'll bet you that when you get old enough, you don't have to go. There he was. 
sad like he always was. Then I had my first spiritual awakening. Maybe you can do it a little bit and just don't tell anybody. God, I couldn't wait to tell my buddy. I said, don't tell a soul. Next Saturday is big town. Got two joints. We'll go to the other joint. Don't tell a soul. We went back. I went in there. I learned how to do everything but commit adultery. I'd have done that, but didn't know much about it. <laughs> and you know how we are. Drink one beer. Forget it. Or, if we do, we don't know where we did or not. And you can't call back to see if you did anything last night. Might have been a time. I learned how to drink. Didn't even know I need. Just drink one beer right after the other. Get feeling good. You can't feel it all. Learned how to dance. Southern Baptist can't dance. Fell down on the dance floor. Broke my nose. Did it five times after I learned how to do it. Blacked out. Waked up the next morning. Threw up just like I'd been doing it for years. This guy called said, how do you feel? I said, God, I feel horrible. He said, oh, but you had a great time. I said, oh, well. Then I knew how to have a good time. Just go out and get drunk, black out, wake up the next morning, throw up. Then you know you had a good time. <laughs> Did not know you drank it any other way. I thought people who didn't drink like I drank didn't drink. I see them now. They're putting umbrellas in them. Just don't want any rainwater to get in there. <laughs> they were already putting fruit in them. And I see people pour good bourbon in milk. Not watch the milk. See if it curdles. I never did any of that. Never messed any of it up. One Saturday afternoon, I was over to this little town by myself, trying to walk and mess around as long as I could before I started to get drunk. Because I wanted to put it off as long as I could. It was about 2.30 in the afternoon, and I walked by this post office, and there was a sign out there that said, We need you. And I walked in, and they did. This guy said, Have you ever been to California? He said, No, I haven't been but 30 miles away from home. We're going tomorrow. I said, God, where do I sign up? So I signed up, got it all ready to go, went home, told my folks. My folks already look at me funny. And I told them I was going to California. They said, you don't have any money. How are you going? I said, I'm in the Air Force. Here's my papers right here. Ready, and we're leaving tomorrow. I went back. Next morning, we went to San Antonio. This outfit really operates one day at a time. <laughs> it was a funny bunch. We got up in the middle of the night, made our bed real quick like somebody's coming. Never did. They want to go down and eat, and it's still dark. That would make you sick if you eat that time of day, even if you haven't been drunk night before. Then they were scared because they always walked in groups. <laughs> Whoever it was that was running our outfit decided we should take a surprise trip, which means we're not going to tell you, so you can't tell anybody, so nobody's going to know where you all are going. Whoever it was running our outfit decided we ought to go to China. We went to China by boat. We're in the Air Force. I think they flew the sailors over, and the Marines ran the boat. A lot of Chinese over there. They have a few trees and little mountains and uh, some rice, but they mainly just manufacture Chinese. They, they're good at it, and they like it. And there's no smog or anything involved. They just love to make Chinese. And they just do it. You know, they lose some, but they're making so damn many that it doesn't make any difference. Well, after you're over there, about three weeks, you've seen all the Chinese you'll ever need to see. So I told them I was ready to come back home. We stayed two years. Then we came back by boat. 
And my folks said, where are you going to school? I said, hell, I'm not going to school. Hate school. Wouldn't be caught dead going to school. I can't stand school. I'm not going to school. They said, if you don't have that piece of paper, every man coming out of the service will have that piece of paper. You won't even be able to apply for a job, let alone get one without that piece of paper. Well, I proved my folks wrong. I gutted that thing straight through three and a half years, got that piece of paper, and made sure I didn't learn one single thing. <laughs> I made sure that every course I would pass it before I took it, and that it wouldn't benefit a human being whatsoever. <laughs> you know what I like about you and I? We'll go to any length, even if it destroys us, just to be right. A lot of people won't do that. A lot of people say, I could be wrong about that. Not you and I. The only time you and I will ever use that statement is when we're damn sure we're right. Then we might say, well, I could be wrong about that. <laughs> Having some minor difficulties with women. If you put ten pretty girls up there, I'll get the sick one every time. I don't know where I learned how to do that. I'd see some guys, they'd go with a different girl one day and a different girl next day and a different girl next week. You're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to make sure that you've got a pretty girl. One that you can take home and fall in love with. And so do your parents. God, you can't just go with any girl. The only thing awkward about being the way I was is when you're walking around in love with no girl. <laughs> Take me about two months to find that precious sick little thing. Then in about two months, we'd be so much in love, I'd almost have to quit work. <laughs> then they'd just deteriorate from there on out. When I got the A, I thought, God. This is the greatest place I have ever been in my life. It's the first time I've ever been where they had the sick women grouped. <laughs> and I like both kinds. I like the ones that got sick doing it, and I like the ones that got sick watching him do it. <laughs> also having difficulty where I work. Every place I worked always wanted me to come to work on Mondays. And I never had, I don't have the flu on Thursday. If I have the flu, it's on Mondays. And for some reason, evidently, God thought that we were the ones that have been assigned to make sure that all businesses operate properly. And it's hard work to make sure they treat you right, pay you right, have you in the right place, and make sure they do it right. Some of the places that fired me are still operating doing it wrong. Which probably means that most of us are just too smart to be in business. <laughs> Finally got out of a job and I couldn't get one. Well, I'd look for jobs. I'd get up every morning. I'd throw up and I'd spray. And I'd go fill out one of those forms that ask you personal questions like, where have you worked the last 10 years? Well, it's none of their business. They even want to know where you lived last ten years. How are you going to remember all those addresses? <laughs> then the rest of the blanks you've got to say, wonder what they'd like for me to say. Well, you don't know them too well. So you've got to figure out, it's hard work, 
figure those damn, I still hate them. Arms out. You never have the right thing to ask for, because they always ask you for the wrong thing. I don't know why they didn't let us make out the forms. And then, of course, you have the interview. It takes five, ten minutes. Then you're through. You go out and get drunk. Just do that one day at a time. <laughs> and I saved this one place. I couldn't wait to... Ju- I saved it because I knew a guy that was there. I knew they had an opening. I knew he'd help get me the job, and I knew I'd get it. So sure enough, when I got there, this guy says, You don't want this job. I said, Yeah, I want this job. He said, No, you don't want this job. I said, Yeah, I've got to have a job. I've got to have a job. He said, no, you don't want this job. Everybody knew what I didn't want. Everybody knew what I wanted. Finally, I went out and got drunk, and I waked up the next morning. I said, you know what? I think I'll just take the day off. I've been doing this for about ten days. Went out the golf course. Ate no leg, no piece of toast. Went around to the beer joint where my spiritual advisor worked. <laughs> and he says, God, man, you look horrible. I said, yeah, I think I'm coming down with something. He said, I'm going to tell you something. You better drink a beer and drink it quick. You're going to shake yourself to death. And I said, oh, my God, I'm Baptist. We never drink before noon. It's all. It's just 10. It's just 9.30. He said, drink the beer. I drank that beer and sprayed the golf course with it. I don't mind spraying if I don't lose my concentration. <laughs> when you start thinking about women or something, and it gets in your nose and burns, then you've got to drink the rest of the day just to kill the pain. And I already knew how to meditate. I don't do it that closely anymore. It's when it's just me, God, and the commode. And you say, oh, God. And it's stringy. And you don't know where the end is. And you, it's a good after-dinner talk. And you can't breathe because you get it back. So you don't know whether you're going or coming. It was amazing that after each time, after that, you know, it'd be so tiring to meditate that deeply when you're close to death like that. And even in the hot summertime, when I'd be so tired, I'd lean over there and that bowl was always just as cool. I told this guy, I said, I think I better go home. I think I'm really coming down with something. I think I better go home and go to bed. I didn't get to use those vibrators in a motel for a long time because I could just lay down and vibrate all by myself. And I love to live with me, because I'd get in the car, and I was supposed to call on hospitals. And I'd go out, and I said, God, I hate to go out to that big old hospital, drive up front of that big hospital, hard to find a parking place. And you got to take that kit, go through the lobby, wind around down through that basement, go with that purchasing agent. And you know him. Hell, he's not going to buy anything anyway. See, you don't even have to park. Just drive right on by. <laughs> Wait till 1030 and go have a beer and tell him you had another bad day. I went home and I got in the living room and I decided that what I need to do is commit suicide. Then those guys that didn't hire me would worry about it for the rest of their days. I was living in Houston then and I knew they'd see in the Houston Chronicle Jimmy Williams commit suicide and they'll never get over it. But I didn't know how to do it. I see it on television now all the time. Suicide, call that number. I bet they've got joint, uh, lots of courage join our group. Or oh, they probably have pamphlets, softer, easier ways. <laughs> this was back when all of us believed it. This was even before overdose was popular. The only thing you'll remember there is the pump. I remember all three of my suicides. 
Us old guys think you ought to be sound in mind and body when you commit suicide. You need to know what you're doing. I didn't like guns because I don't like noise of the morning. Besides that, they splatter all over everything. Razor blades were popular then, but didn't know how to do it. They just said, cut his wrist with a razor blade. Didn't say which one. Which way did you cut it? Cut it this way. Cut that. You got two wrists. Which cut wrist? Cut. You don't know what kind of blade to use. I didn't have anybody to call. I knew you couldn't do it in the living room. You get blood all over the carpet. And I'm always thinking of others. So I went to the bathroom where I do a lot of things anyway. Got my razor blade. Cut both wrists. I realized this. What if I just cut the left wrist? The left side would die. What if you backed out? Half dead, half alive. So I, even though I hadn't done it before, we're pretty smart, you know. If I cut both wrists, then I can bleed and die evenly. So I cut them both, and I'm sitting there on the throne, thinking about those guys who are going to worry about it for the rest of their days. And the phone rang. I thought, what if where I'm going, I'll always wonder who that was called. <laughs> That'd be enough to run you crazy. Put a bandaid on the wrist right quick. Answered the phone. It was the police. They said, where were you last night? I said, I was right here. And he said, no, you wasn't. I said, how do you know? And he said, we was there. Said, I didn't want to talk to him anymore. I'd already learned. Don't ever talk to anybody knows what about where you've been than you do. I said, well, what do you want me to do? He said, if I were you, said, you can either come down here or we'll come out there and get you. I said, I'll be right there. And he said, I, if I were you, I'd pick up an attorney on the way because, brother, you're in trouble. I said, it'll take me an extra 30 minutes, but wait for me. I'm coming. <laughs> God, I love to live with me. I can live a week and a half a day. I've had a hell of a day. Been out the golf course, saw my spiritual advisor, threw up all over the golf course, came home, had a big meeting, committed suicide. Now I've got to call an emergency meeting, and hell, it's only 11 o'clock. <laughs> I thought, you know, I don't think I like either one of those options. I think I'll just leave. I think I'll just leave town. Houston's treated me pretty badly anyway. I think I'll just leave. So I just had some quilts, some blankets, and then had one piece of furniture. Just had room in the car for me, put all dirty clothes, clean clothes, and just had room in the car, just barely for me, and I put a, one piece of furniture, an old lamp and a lamp shade. I guess I was going to carry the light if I could ever find the plug. <laughs> Had $36 left, which was plenty to start a new career for inflation. Took out of Houston and ended up the next day about 150 miles away in Brownwood with $7. And I said, wonder how my folks are getting along. <laughs> I called them collect so they knew it was me. <laughs> they live in Fort Worth. They said, what are you doing in Brownwood? And I said, oh, just out riding around. They said, well, why don't you ride by and see us? I said, I don't believe will. I never shortchange my folks. I always give them my very finest story. They're not going to get their money back. In fact, I got to listen to that story, and it was so horrible, hell, I cried with them. I thought, God, if I'd known it was that bad, I'd left Houston three years early. Old John says, well, Jimmy's honest. Let him have a hundred. God. With a hundred and seven, you can almost go into business. All I knew I had to do was sweat out that night. The next morning when I get up, 
Go do my little thing. In fact, I may take a little vacation. <laughs> Got up the next morning, started leaving, turned around and said, Annalee, there's one little thing I left out last night. When I was going through all that trouble down there in Houston, I was drinking some. But I decided last night I shall never drink again as long as I live. You'll never have to worry about me being ever underfinanced ever again. You need not worry about me ever again. My folks are still looking at me like a blank wall. So I get in the car and she, I said, when I got in the A, I went back up there. I said, do you remember that time? She said, which one? <laughs> and she said, well, I think I remember. I turned around to John and said, well, he's 33. He'll never live till he's 35. Say, when you'd leave, we thought, huh, he'll either be in jail or he'll be dead in a car wreck. We may never see him again. Well, I didn't know where to go. And I remembered that I had helped a guy get a job down the Rio Grande Valley. And I thought, I'll bet you he'd love to see me. Don't call. They'll tell you not to come. So I just said, I'll just run down there. It's just right down there, you know. Left right out of Fort Worth, stopped at a filling station where they happened to sell beer. And I just said, how far is the Waco? And they said, 79 miles. I said, let me have three. I ended up in Harlingen, Texas. And I found out that this guy didn't want me at his house. So he had a trade-out deal at the rate at the uh, hotel downtown, <clears throat> one of the nicer ones. And I never took my clothes out of the car. Every morning I'd get up, come down the elevator, go across the street, get my socks, socks short, search, go up. It, every morning for three solid weeks. I went down to that place where he worked every single day, and they finally hired me. Now, they didn't hire me because they wanted me. They hired me because nobody comes down there looking for jobs. That's the end, you know. That little creek. The world ends down there. They change countries and everything. Change language. The whole thing changes. So if you're halfway breathing, they'll be interested in you. Because they go down there to play and go fishing and get drunk and have a big time kill birds. They don't go down there to look at jobs. So sure enough, this place, when I'd go to work at a place, I'd just get drunk and not drunk drunk. And I'd work seven days a week till I got up into my place. Sometimes they had a guy in my place. I'd have to tell him to get rid of him and that happened here took me about three months to convince them to get rid of this guy and put me up there in the morning where I belong. So I got up there in his place, and I took over. Then I could kind of settle down and do my deal. Well, one afternoon, I was just too worn out to go straight from work to get drunk. So I said, I'm going to go home and take a little nap. And I went home, and I was laying down there, and he came by and says, knocked on the door. says, you know, you've been here almost eight months. We need to get better acquainted. I said, yeah. He said, would you like to have a beard? I said, well, one. He was a drunk, just like me. And he had two other drunks there, and we, the four of us drunks ran that thing for seven and a half years. And then, of course, he screwed up. <laughs> and they cleaned house. I'm still trying to get married. It just seems like I've got the wrong system. Just going with one girl and trying to be true is not working. What I need to do to avoid those bad spots is to have a number one and a spare. It's hard courting drinking. You call about 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon and say, pick you up about 7, 7.30, be okay, be fine. Might be 4 or 5 days before you get by there. Now, my weekends were like this. I'd get off work Saturday at noon. And I'd run to the golf course, have a heavy lunch like a six-pack of a cheese cracker. I'd be drunk, blacked out, home in bed by a quarter of seven. Wake up, 
10.30, quarter 11, dry mouth and all, go down to my beer joint and close it at 1 o'clock, then whoever my best friends were, we'd all get in a couple of cars and drive over to Madame Morris and finish the evening. And then wait till daylight and have a little way with run chairs and throw it up, or sometimes we'd just skip it. And... <laughs> And drink a little beer Sunday and taper off into Monday, and sometimes we made it, and sometimes we missed it. Well, this particular weekend, I'm over at number one's house, up on Friday night, past my bedtime, blacking out about 11 o'clock. And sometimes, you know, we're just a little too honest for other folks. So I just happened to mention number two. I guess I'd never mentioned her before. And just told her I thought I'd go by and drop by and see her on the way home. And you know how hospitable and friendly we are. And I went up and said, but I want to go to the bathroom first. Well, she followed me in there. So I went, you know, they're putting carpets in bathrooms. That's because people are having meetings in bathrooms. <laughs> You're not supposed to have meetings in bathrooms. You're supposed to have the surfaces are too hard in there for meetings. You're supposed to have them out where you got couches and beds and carpets. I don't know what happened. I'm living in an old faded green trailer in an alley behind a motel. I had the rock yards a long time before they started putting them in. <laughs> and I'd already learned how to wake up in total fright in my own bed. So, I'm laying there asleep, and about that time something goes, bam! I jumped up out of that bed, looked down, still had my clothes on, and I said, God, I bet I was going somewhere early this morning. <laughs> then I looked down there, and that old white shirt and had blood on it. Blood makes me sick, you know. And God, he kept beating on that door. And I, God, I felt, uh, I've got knots, knots on my head. I wrecked my car. It's police, it's police. And those little trailers got little windows like that. You can't get out. Well, I finally opened the window and opened the door. And there stood that 240-pound Baptist preacher saying, Come go along with me. I said, Preacher, I know I look like I'm ready, but I'm not ready. I know I look like it, but I'm not ready. I cannot go. I'm sorry, but I cannot go. I, I, I don't know what the deal is, or where the meeting is, or where important it is. I can't make it. I cannot make it. It's killing me, and I'm in this bad shape. He said, get in the car. God. I looked out there, and my car's parked funny. So, uh-oh, wrecked somebody else's car. Wrecked somebody else's car. What I did. Got in the car, and I could not breathe. I said, preacher, I'm going to have to have a beer. I'm going to have to have a beer. I'm not breathing. I'm not breathing. I'm going to have, I'm going to, I'm going to, I never have been able to breathe. I, I'm, I'm not breathing. I am not breathing. I am not breathing. And the preacher says, there'll be no drinking before the meeting. I said, preacher, I am not breathing. <laughs> you know that Baptist preachers don't give a damn whether you're breathing or not? <clears throat> we drove and drove and drove and finally drove up into her house. And in front of her house. I assume the meeting's going to be there. Head's killing. Got four knots on it. Four knots on it. Blood's still there. Opened the door. She did look like she might have fallen in a bush or something. Then I said, I've got to go to the bathroom. And I went to the bathroom and looked in that mirror, and I'm going to tell you something. She won. <laughs> I'll never know what happened, but I think what really happened, I probably lost my equilibrium, fell in that bathtub, and she stepped on me. <laughs> Two weeks later, we got married. <laughs> we got married in the First Baptist Church, so it worked. We got married at 10 o'clock on the Saturday morning so there'd be no drinking before the funeral ceremony. I told her that since she had been married before, 
and I was pure, <laughs> that it wasn't necessary for us to invite a lot of people, but she could invite a few of her close friends. I'm up again on Friday night about 11 o'clock, and I decide to call my friends. So I start calling them evidently to around 3 in the morning, because when I got there, my beer distributor friend came across that yard from the church and stopped me and said, I'm going to talk to you. You called me at a quarter of three this morning. We're not here to see you get married. We're here because none of us believe it. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you something. As your best friend, the longest bet on your marriage is three weeks. But I showed him. I hung it in there for eight years. But my life changed. <laughs> I had no idea how nice it was to get up and throw up in peace. <laughs> I was always going to quit smoking because it made me gag up morning. So I'd grab those cigarettes and grab that coffee and go in that bathroom and lock that door. She'd tell me what I was through that door. Then I'd have to get upset, go make the living, get mad and get drunk and come home and tell her what she was. And we did that one day at a time. <laughs> Finally, I went back and said, Preacher, this thing is not working. He said, you know what's wrong with you? You're missing the beauty of life. I said, yeah. <laughs> he said, did you know the fruit trees were in bloom? I said, no. He said, what you need to do is go home and get your wife and get in the car, and drive up the valley and smell the aroma and look at the blossoms. I said, yeah. So I jumped in the car, went home and opened the door and said, Get in the car! <laughs> he said, What for? I said, We're going to go look at the blossoms. <laughs> he said, The blossoms? I said, Yeah, we're missing the whole damn thing. He <laughs> gets in the car, and I drive to the store to get a six pack. Drive up the valley, see a sign that says 14 miles to Matamars, turn left, go to Matamars, switch tequila, blocked out, missed the whole damn thing. <laughs> Lost that job. Went all over, everywhere, completely insane and crazy, looking for a job for two months. Could not find one. Could not find a job. Finally, this guy called me that I had been drunk with. Man, he's a drunk just like me, but he managed a drug company. And he said, I understand you're looking for a job. I said, yeah. He said, well, how'd you like to go and work with me? And I said, well, we could discuss it. I'm thinking about changing careers anyway. I always change. never have any careers. I always change. I always like to apply for something I didn't qualify for. That way you don't have to go to work too quick. <laughs> and you don't have to be too good at it. So he said, well, there's no use meeting me at the office. Why don't you just meet me down at the cafe? I said, okay. What time? 10.30. It's my time. Walked in. He said, had breakfast? They said, no. He said, well, would you like a beer? And I said, oh, I guess one. So we drank beer for a while. And he said, why don't we go down to Padre Island and kind of see how things look? I said, okay. I don't know what we need to see, but I'm sure it was down there. <laughs> we had a sandwich around 2.30 so we wouldn't get drunk. Then about 8 o'clock, we decided to have one beer and then leave. And some guy wanted to demonstrate a boat, which I thought was an ideal thing. There's a couple of girls there from Kansas who had never been on a boat. And I got a little hospitable with them, and we all decided to take a little ride in that boat. Just dark. So we all get in the boat. 
fly out underneath the causeway, and then something goes, <laughs> light goes out. Some guy says, Jim, help me. My God didn't know what he wanted me to do. They've got pilings. Look like oil decks sitting out there, and I had to go back and look and see what it was we flew into. He opened that thing up when we flew in there, and I ate that four or six or whatever that thing was, and slopped that boat underneath there, and one gal went in there, and the pilot was there, and I was on top of all of them. Laid me back in the boat. There I was, laying back there in the boat, couldn't breathe again. <laughs> Water's coming up, and I'm drowning. And we end up, the tide takes us back, and then we all end up, and we ran to the doctor there at Port Isabel, and I knew him, and I go, Doc Hockaday, dead now. And I ran in there, and blood's running all down. I didn't know what it was, but it was raw. If I'd known it, it passed out. <laughs> Knocked on the door, and Doc says, Jim, you know I don't do anything but abortions. I said, God, that's right. <laughs> so we went all the way down there to, they took us to the hospital 30 miles away. Some idiot called the wives. My wife checked the women out first and then came to see me. They put us to all three different hospitals. The insurance people checked all the men and we'd all just had two beers. And I got the job. Didn't even have to fill out the form. And then he shipped me, it took him about six weeks to ship me to Fort Stockton, Texas. Now he sent me out there, he said, to learn the drug business. I found out later on he sent me because nobody else would go. You know, at that time, 536 people lived out there. 36 of them were making a living. I joined the 500. Now, I'm supposed to stand in the drugstore with a pad that's got lines on it and write oreomycin and stuff like that. Let alone get it in those lines. You can't get it in those lines. They're moving. And this pharmacist says, my God, man, you look like you're going to fly apart. I said, any minute. He said, well, take some of these. This is just Libya, which is nothing. A little two-tone green and black, two-tone green. Uh, this, this, this was before Valium. No, Valium, I understand, both eyes cross and you walk straight. <laughs> this was just Librium. Hell, I took two of them. Nothing happened. I waited 15, 20 seconds. <laughs> then I took three more. And then my knees just went, huh? I said, God, I've learned how to weave. Now I've got to learn new stamps. So I take, they always think, y'all, you people have been on drugs have ruined the drug business. We knew how to take drugs. I got mine for nothing, for God's sake. And he'd say, Jim, we're a little short of uh, 10 milligram, 25 be okay? I said, be fine. See, we don't go by milligram, we go by size. You know, if you're taking 510 and they're the same size as 25, you take 525. What I like about it is the result's about the same. Maybe rock a little more than you rocked before. <laughs> Nothing wrong with rocking a little. And <clears throat> you can miss everything. So I took Olivia in the daytime, drank beer at night. The only time I ever made any decision at night was after the third beer, never before. Am I going to go home early or am I going to close the joint? If I'm going to close the joint, then I stay on beer. If I'm going to go home early... I go get a pint of bourbon and put it on top of those three beers and that Librium, and you go home like you're supposed to go home, blacked out. <laughs> My ideal night was blackout at the door. Sometimes I'd do it a little early, sometimes I'd do it a little late. 
Good blackout driver. Never had a wreck blacked out. Several wrecks drunk. But blackout, I'm the guy to drive. When I'm blacked out, let me drive. <laughs> drunk, I can hit them. Whether they're moving or not, I can hit them. Some guy recommended me for a job that hadn't seen me in 15 years, and I got the job, and I went back to Houston on March the 1st of 1965. None of my new bunch, we got a, oh, what's her name, and I had finally developed such a nice, sweet, deep hate for one another <laughs> that we were safe, because the one that died first won. <laughs> but it was best that we not sleep in the same area. So we had a two-bedroom deal, little apartment, got set up for battle. My customers never saw me drunk until the day before Christmas Eve of 1965, and I played golf with them and their in-laws, and we all got to drinking beer early, and I got to being nice to everybody. You know how we are, being very nice. And I blacked out and went by their house to meet the women, and I blacked out right at the door like I was supposed to. You know, I know how to do it. And then I drove from one side of Houston to the other, blacked out. That's nothing new for me. I'm a black-eyed driver. I drive blacked out. Nothing new. Nothing new for me to wake up and wonder how in the hell my car got back and why it just sparked funny, whether it's been wrecked or not. I didn't quit asking it out. got back, for God's sake. I did the same thing I've always done for years when I'd been to somebody's house. What little I'd remember, I'd always call them back. And I did the same thing this morning. Oh, what's the name of gone next door that's getting ready to have a Christmas Eve party? And I call back and say, I sure am sorry about last night. I'm not sorry about last night. I want to know what in the hell I did. And they never tell you. The only thing they would say was, okay, Jim, you just got drunk. People were telling me they liked me, but they weren't inviting me. They didn't want to be around me anymore because they couldn't stand me when I was drunk. They couldn't stand me when I was drinking. And drunk. I was getting that picture that I'm a drunk. God, if they'd have said an alcoholic, I was said, probably said thank you very much. I'm not an alcoholic. The only alcoholic I know is the guy that was in this little town and the one drunk in that town that slept in the alley and had the wine. And I wasn't doing that. And as long as I wasn't doing that, I was not an alcoholic. He was the only one I knew. I guess heard on radio. I pick up the phone, look up the phone book. Look on the Alcoholics Anonymous and call in a group. I must have heard it already. And this gal act like she's glad I called. I should have known in had the wrong number. <laughs> and she said, somebody be right out. Well, hell, I waited an hour. Nobody showed up, looked in the refrigerator, had three beers, and it's 10.15. I said, well, I'll just call them back and tell them I don't need them. Could not remember who I called. Phone rang, and the guy said, be right there. Well, before I could tell him I didn't need him, hell, he hung up. I thought, well, I'll just get rid of him. He came by himself because his wife was managing these apartments when I moved in, and he used to watch me going back and forth in 7-Eleven saying, He lives, we'll get him. <laughs> I looked out that window, and here he comes, a little short guy with a pointed nose and book under his arm, and I said, Oh, my God. We're going to read that book and pray. I've not only been baptized, I've been rededicated ten times. I said, I'll just get rid of it. He came in there. We didn't read the book. We didn't pray. I don't know what he said nor what I said. About that time, old what's-her-name came back in. He says, you want to go with me? Well, I didn't, but it's better to stay with her. 
<clears throat> so I got in the car with him, and I knew I'd made a mistake. He wasn't my kind of guy. God, I'm going, even though his car was better, I still should have taken my car. I know better. I'm going off with a perfect stranger. We got on that old 610 loop in Houston. I said, I'll buy a beer. I don't want a beer. God, I knew it. I knew it. I waited about 10 seconds. I said, I'm going to tell you something. I got bad drunk last night. You can let me off on top of this freeway, and I'll go over there that you told him and get a beer. Or uh, you take me over there. I've got to have a beer, and I've got to have it right now. And besides that, it's 11.20. <laughs> he said, can you wait till we get to the club? Oh, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> Hell, I can handle total fight if i got a little light. We drove and drove, drove old, kind of a bad neighborhood. Drove up in front of this old rickety-looking house. I said, this it? He said, yeah. I thought, well, when I get some money, I'll help these folks. <laughs> Walked in there, and some of those deacons were sitting over there talking about women in the stock market. <clears throat> Found out later on they didn't know anything about either one. Back there in the back was an old bar that I'll bet linoleum had holes in. I'll bet it had holes in it when they put it on there. And the bartender didn't look a hell of a lot better than I did. It's a program of attraction, you know. <laughs> And this little deacon said, mix him up a little milk and honey. I said, my God, what do you put in it? I never drank anything like that in my life. He said, well, you see, you're nervous. I said, hell, that's what I've been trying to tell you. <laughs> and he said, and besides all that, you're used to sugar in your system from alcohol. And the honey has already been digested. I said, indigestion is not my problem. <laughs> Hell, if you throw up right, you don't have indigestion. <laughs> so I started drinking it, and it curdled, came right back up. He said, don't worry about it. We have plenty. <laughs> I thought, hell, I'm going to put on a show for these guys. One of the smart ones said, walk all you want to. Hell, I didn't want to walk at all. They just sat there. Well, got a new animal in here today. What you going? Back and forth, look at that sweet, 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 sweet. God, I hadn't had a piece of chocolate pie in ten years. God, sick. I'm almost facing that. Sick, sweet. Finally, about four thirty, he says, "Well, I guess we better go home." I said, "Yeah." Let me out a couple of blocks before we get that apartment because I knew I had to slip in there and get in my car and go get some bourbon because beer would not cut that sweet taste. <laughs> He said, don't drink anything. I'm going to pick you up in an hour and a half. I said, what for? We're going to a meeting. I said, where? Right back where we came from. He said, my God, we're there all day. I said, well, just let me out. And I got out and I walked and walked. And here he comes and back over there we go. Kind of a funny bunch. I saw a few of them kind of hugging and kissing and laughing. The rest of them, they didn't act like this too damn happy to be there either. They got up, said a little prayer. Then some girl got up, talked two or three hours. And they just laughed. What a damn thing funny. Then some guy got up, talked two or three hours. And they would just laugh. I said, I'm going to tell you something. This is a sick bunch of folks. <laughs> then they all got up and held hands and said the Lord's Prayer. By God, the Holy Spirit moved in there. Every one of them started, it just exploded. Every one of them started talking all the same time. Not a single one of them lifted. I said, God, I wonder how he did that. <laughs> they didn't sing any songs, come to the altar, lay any hands. They didn't do nothing. 
I'm going to keep my eyes open tomorrow night and see what he did. <laughs> and me and the deacon are standing back here by the side of the door, and then I saw the deal. Saw the deal. Men and women getting together, jumping in those cars, laughing and talking, and taking off. I said, uh-oh. As soon as you hear a little while, get to go one of these apartments and have a little drink and talk about this damn thing. <laughs> we went night after night after night after night. Nobody invited us anywhere. I said, uh-oh. I'm with the only deacon nobody likes. <laughs> one night he called, so I picked you up in about 30 minutes. I said, it's raining. It doesn't rain in Houston. It really just falls out. And he said, did you ever go get a drink it's raining? I'll be ready. <laughs> then one weekend, oh, what's the name, had gone back to the valley. See if we had any friends left. So I just locked the door, pulled down all the blinds, turned out all the lights, had nothing on but the TV set. That old phone just ring, 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 let it ring. Next morning he calls and said, where were you last night? I said, I was right here watching television, enjoying every damn minute of it, and I may do it again tonight. He said, well, you missed it. <laughs> I said, what did I miss? He said, I don't know. I said, wasn't you there? He said, yeah, but I only heard what I was supposed to hear. We'll never know what it was you're supposed to hear. <laughs> but my God, you got to go every night, you'll miss it. <laughs> I went three months every night, got drunk. Three months every night, got drunk. Three months every night, got drunk and sobered up all by myself. And I decided, hell, I'm not one of them. The only thing that's wrong with me is I've just always been underfinanced. And if I can get properly financed, I can tell them all to <coughs> and go do my deal. But what I need to do is first things first. I'd already learned that. I need to go back and officially resign and tell you, tell them, thank you very much. Really do think a lot of you folks. But I've got to go. I've just got a lot of things I need to go do. And I'm not an alcoholic. Love to be one, but just can't do it. <laughs> Evidently, I had called him about 2.30 one morning while drinking, which I doubt very seriously. I think they'll tell you anything that's convenient. I don't think they tell, have to tell the truth that they've been sober a while. I think they can lie and know it, and it's okay. But anyway, the meeting had already started, so I thought, well, I'll wait till after the meeting, and then I'll just go ahead and sit to this meeting won't hurt anything. So then here he comes. Before I could tell him I'm through, he had to walk up to me and he said, Don't you ever call me again. I said, God, I'm glad you said that. I never called you in the first place. They called you. And I want to tell you something your best friends will not tell you. Nobody likes you here. We don't get invited anywhere, and they don't know me, so it's got to be you. And I'm going to tell you something from my standpoint, and I've run around with you a long time. If I had as bad a personality as you do, I'd go back to drinking. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you something. If you were the last man, human being on this earth, I would never, ever again call you. I wouldn't call you if I was on my deathbed. So you can just say goodbye to me as I'm going to say goodbye to you. And I didn't for the next morning. And he said, meet me at the club. And I walked into that club and he said, get your coffee and sit down. 
They talk to you like a dog here, you know. <laughs> so I'm going to tell you something about Alcoholics Anonymous, Al-Anon, Al-Teen, al and Al-Dog. There's absolutely no failure here. Never has, never will, impossible to, cannot fail. There's no failure here. It just never has happened, and it never will happen. It's impossible for Alcoholics Anonymous, Al-Anon, and Al-Teen to fail. There's just no failure here. Provided you do exactly what we tell you to do, the way we tell you to do it. So now there's only one thing that you're going to get to do for the rest of your life. But it's the only thing you're going to get to do. Beginning now, you're going to have to make a decision every day whether you're going to go our way of life or your way of life. If you don't give an alcoholic a decision to make, they'll flounder on the same subject for years. <laughs> so we're going to give you a decision to make this morning whether you're going to go our way of life or your way of life. So I want to know right now, are you going to go our way of life? And if you're not, get out that door. I said, I don't want to do either one. He said, I didn't ask you what you wanted to do. I asked you what you were going to do. I said, do you mean tell me that you don't care whether I want to or not? He said, not a bit. Group doesn't care? Not at all. I said, well, if you'll make it perfectly clear to group that I don't want to do it, then I'll do it. <laughs> he said, we've got to get, first we've got to get some things straight. It's your thinking that's wrong. I said, how much am I thinking wrong? We always start with all of it. And if there's any, any good, we'll let you know. I said, you put a sign up there on the wall that says, think, think, think. He said, that's for us. <laughs> he says, now we're going to give you some things not to do and some things to do. Now, the things we're going to give you not to do is going to change. The things we're going to give you to do, you'll just add to. Then it's going to happen over here. I said, what's going to happen over there? We don't know, but it always happens. I said, I'm going to tell you something. I've been listening to every single word that you say. Every, you never listen to me. I have listened to every word you say. And I want you to hear me. I do not understand. He said, and that's it. And don't you ever forget it. <laughs> There's two things that you must remember for the rest of your days. No matter what's going on in your life, you do not understand. Then you'll have understanding. And when you quit trying to understand, then you'll enjoy it. And the other thing is, no matter what your situation is, it's never the situation, it's never them, it's never God. It's you that must become different. You must become different than you have ever been before. I said, how do I do that? He said, oh, you can't. I said, what the hell you tell me for you? <laughs> he said, that's what's going to happen to you. So now I'm going to give you the kicker. The one thing that's going to happen to you, as long as you know that you know, you'll never know. But when you begin to do what we tell you not to do and to do and begin to know that you don't know, then you'll begin to know. I said, hell, you're crazy. He said, I know. <laughs> Did I tell it like it, right? Okay. <laughs> Try to remember how he told it, and I couldn't. <laughs> he said, now, the first thing we're going to learn how to do is we're going to have to learn how to not do something. And the first thing we're going to learn how to not do is take a drink or a pill. You know that card that I gave you that has my number and four other men? No women on mine. <laughs> when you get squirrely, definitely before you take a drink or a pill, you call one of those numbers. 
I don't care if it's 3 o'clock in the morning or whatever time it is. Make the phone call. If you don't make the phone call, you didn't do it. Even if you didn't drink, you didn't do it. Make the damn phone call. That's where we're going to learn how to not do something. And this is what we're going to do every day. In the morning when you get up, once you get down on your knees and say these words and these words only. God, let thy will only be done in my life today. Let me be what you want me to be. And help me to definitely not take a drink of anything alcoholic or a mind-changing drug. Amen. Do not need to tell God what he has not done, nor what he needs to do. God can handle that all by himself. And then call me before you go to the bathroom. I said, why before I go to the bathroom? You may not need to go. I said, do you mean tell me that you don't think I've got sense enough to know when I need to go to the bathroom? He said, we'll find out. They don't give you a lot of credit here, you know. Before I got out on my knees, I said, God, you and I know he don't know. Hell, he's a Presbyterian. But we're going to do everything just exactly like he says, so when we get enough this time, we can tell him to... <coughs> so I got out on my knees, and I said that prayer exactly like he told me. And I picked, made sure I need to go to the bathroom, picked up that phone. He didn't even ask where I need to go or not. He said, go to the bathroom, meet me at the club. I met him at the club, and he said, now go to work. I said, I hate my job. He said, what's that got to do with it? I said, well, I hated it so much yesterday, I couldn't go to work. He said, what would you do, sit in that chair and think? And I said, well, to moon, and I went to the club. He said, you don't know how to go to work. I said, how? He said, go get in the car. <laughs> He'll write that down, we'll catch it. <laughs> and he said, there's another little thing, later on we'll do it more. But in the beginning, besides that prayer of the morning, when you get in the car, invite God in today. I said, how do you do that? He said, you say, God. I invite you in today. Oh, put that on the card and we'll have it. <laughs> then they want you to meet them back at the club and you meet them back at the club and walk in, they say, out loud so everybody can hear, get your coffee and sit with us. I know to get my damn coffee and sit down with them. <laughs> Don't say anything. Listen to the king's talk. <laughs> then when you're almost comfortable, they say, out loud, now it's time for you to go home and eat supper and come back to the meeting. Because you have got sense enough to go get in your car and go home and eat supper and come back to the meeting. I know to do it, but they don't let you know that you know. <laughs> come back to the meeting, and then after the meeting, he said, Now, I want you to go home, get on your knees for the side of the bed, and thank God for the day. I said, I do not thank God for the day. It's been a miserable damn day, and I hate you, and I hate God, and I hate AA, and I hate her, and I'm not going to be a hypocrite. He said, do you feel like when you pray to God that you don't mean it? And I said, that's right, and I'm not going to do it. He said, that has absolutely nothing to do with it. It's only the action that you're taking that you don't know you're taking that's going to cause all the things to happen that you had no idea is going to happen. And once those things happen, all the things that you think have to happen will probably never need to happen. Because once you take the action, you had no idea you was taking. And all the things that are going to happen that you had no idea was going to happen. By the time all the things you think are going to have to happen, they won't even need to happen. <laughs> well, hell, I understood that for God's sake. <laughs> I said, do you mean to tell me that when I pray to God, God does not care whether I can mean it or not. He said, not at all. God is not depending on your relationship with him at all. 
He's in full charge and he'll take care of that all by himself. I said, you mean tell me that you don't care, the group doesn't care, and God doesn't care whether I mean it when I pray to God or not? He said, not a bit. Well, hell, I just got in my car and I went home, locked that door so what's the name couldn't get in there. Got out on my knees, said, okay, by God, God, thank you for a miserable damn day. Amen. <laughs> hell, if he don't care and they don't care, hell, I don't care. Did that for about two months, and I was riding down that old 610 loop one morning about 9.15, didn't do anything any different that day than any other day. And that God that I had never known as my friend moved into that car with me. God, I had never had that feeling. And I knew I knew something I had never known before. And I knew I knew something different than I'd ever known it before. And I knew I knew I'd never need to take another drink of anything alcoholic or a mind-changing drug unless I myself insisted upon it. And I knew I knew it. God stayed with me all that day, and then about three o'clock that afternoon, I said, man, I'm going to get me a tent and some tambourines. I'm going to hit that road and save some souls. Oh, better look out, because Jimmy is coming. I couldn't wait for him to get back to that club because I thought, hell, I might even let him go help put up the tent. I knew they'd make me the leader, and I was just going to take over. So he come in 15 minutes late and walked through that door, and I said, get your coffee and sit down. <laughs> the Baptist is taking over. Well, they don't like it coming back at him, but he did it, and we went over, and I said, get over here in this other room by ourselves. Because I knew the Holy Spirit had me and we were going. I could imagine I had an aura of some kind over me now. And I stood up there and sit him down there. He looks at me, funny. And I tell him the deal. Then I wait. And he said, thank God we've got that over with. Now we can get started. <laughs> I said, my God, that took a year. He said, some are thicker than others. I said, what are you going to do about old what's-her-name? Hell, give him the tough stuff to get smart with you. He said, oh, I'm not going to do anything with it. My wife and I, we're leaving everything just like it is. I'm going to send you to a guy who's got his all worked out. He sent me to an Episcopalian. You know they don't know. He said, is there anything, when I went to see him, he said, Jim, do you remember when you got in AA, you didn't fit in here? And you didn't fit back out there? I said, yeah. He said, if you felt like you were lonesome and that you were the only guy going through it? I said, yeah. He said, if you're willing to go through that lonesome period in every area of your life, I'll not only guarantee your relationship with women and with women or your fellow man, I'll guarantee your relationship with all of your fellow men that you could never have dreamed of. And I'll give you a bonus on top of that. I'll guarantee your relationship with Almighty God that you could never have imagined. I said, I don't believe that. He said, isn't that wonderful? I said, what do you mean? He said, you don't need to. I said, what do you mean? He said, it's the action. I said, I've already heard that. He said, are you married? And I said, not really. I said, I've been praying for someone to sleep with and nobody will. We still live together, but we don't live together. We're still legally married, but we do not. And said, they won't let me go with anybody. Said, I've already picked out two girls. One of them I know was my kind of girl. has been sober three weeks. 
but they won't let me do it. I'm having brain damage not doing it. He said, well, you don't know how to live in this earth with other people, and you don't know how to live with another human being. And it won't make any difference whether you end up with her or end up with somebody else. You have got to become different, and we'll just practice on her. He said, well, you are never to tell her what's wrong with her ever again. I said, who's going to tell her? <laughs> he said, I don't know, but you're not. And you're never going to do anything to get Alan's children, friends, or anybody to work around to get her to do what you think she needs to do. I said, never. He said, never. And you're going to pray for her. And I said, I'm not. You pray for her. He said, yes, you are. In the beginning, you may have said a hundred times a day. Every time she comes into your mind, you say these words and these words only. God, thy will be done for her as well as for me. Take our relationship, let it be what you want it to be, and show me the truth. I said, I do not want God's will to be done for her as well as for me. He said, remember, what you want has nothing to do with it. So finally, I started doing that prayer and doing that prayer and doing that prayer, and I finally told him, I said, she needs to go to al He said, my wife is already taking her to al I want you to know that I love you, and I want you to call me any time of the day or night. If I can ever help you in any way, let me know. They took her to you, and she found you depressing. And the more they took her to you, the more she found you depressing. So whatever you're doing, keep doing it. <laughs> I kept doing that for about two months, and that old love, lust, sex thing surfaced on me, and I had it and couldn't get rid of it. Told him two or four times a day, and I couldn't get rid of it. Told him every day, every day, and it wasn't doing any good, so I told the group. One of the girls said, you're not supposed to say that in the group. So I went over and told another group. And one of them stitched on me. We don't gossip here, you know. We're just concerned. <laughs> so then finally this guy said, I'm going to tell you something. I want you to go home. Don't you call me or anybody else. We've heard about that thing. So usually when you stop doing something, God transforms your mind and removes it from you. It's not happening to you. You go home and lock yourself in that apartment or what's the name of going back to the valley. And said, you stay in there. Don't call a soul. They can never make up their mind. One time they want you to call. Now they don't want you to call them. And you and God get rid of that. I stayed in there all day long, and I prayed, and I cried, and I beat the couch. I learned to quit hitting the bar. It hurt your hand. About 11, 12 o'clock at night, I went to sleep, and the next day it wasn't there. Well, I went to four meetings. I said, hell, I'm not even going to tell them they got so smart. So on the fourth night, we was all around the table eating ice cream after meeting, and I said, well, I guess I might as well go ahead and tell you all. He said, oh, we knew it the first night. I said, why didn't you tell me? He said, well, you need to know that you're always going to be the last to know. I said, why is that? He said, we don't know. <laughs> I see the tapes flopping. God, I'm glad we're going to get to know. Wouldn't that be hell? You know, when that old sickness left me, you know what old what's-her-name and I had? Nothing. You know what nothing is? Nothing. You know how to get sick? Make something out of nothing. I got married again after I learned how to do it. I married a good Baptist and didn't know anything about alcohol. And we did fine because we didn't say anything to each other for 17 years, but we did fine because we let each other alone. We were both in screaming marriages. We finally destroyed everything. And now I'm married again. I'm really, if this, there's only one thing wrong with this marriage, and I'm worried about it. You can see, there's nothing wrong with it. 
<laughs> but I'm working on it. I've only been in there a year and a half, so give me a little time. My folks picked her. They they said, you picked the wrong women. And I thought, you know, my folks are getting away. They talk to me terrible. He said, I'm going to disown you if you don't marry this one. I said, I'm not going to marry anymore. But she wasn't either, so we got married. <laughs> married an Alnon, but she had been with a drunk. And it is, it is terrible marriage. It's just, it's just wonderful. It's just everything's good. Uh, there's something, there's got to be something wrong with it, I'm sure. I'm going to check it as soon as I get back home. But God, I'm all glad we're going to get to know. I know Jimmy Swaggart didn't do it for me, but he did it for me. My second wife got into a lot of that stuff, which is fine for her. And I used to hear him on occasions, and I heard him talk about us. But I want to tell you something. He did something for me. Those people that they took me to and took me to some of those preachers, not him, but some of those preachers, and they always made me think that we didn't have it. We were okay. We had a little of the Holy Spirit. But we didn't have quite what they had. They were up here and we were down here, but it's okay. He proved it to me. I know he didn't do it to me. Here's a guy that had all the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He had all the revealing of the Bible that the Lord reveals to his people. He had the anointing to where when he met with his people, God worked through him and did everything else. What happened to him? We've got it. What he did not have. He knew God. He and God walked hand in hand. But what did he leave out? The one thing we do. We admit it to God and ourselves just like he does. Except you and I admit it to another human being. And he didn't do it. God, I appreciate and thank for I said, God, thank you very much for Jimmy Swaggart. I know he didn't do it for me, but he did it for me. You and I are in it. And you know what? You want to be perfect? There you are. You did everything just exactly like you're supposed to do it. Up to this minute. You know, I know I know some things about you and I. I don't know anything about anybody else. Nobody tells it. <laughs> but I know about you and I. I know about you and I. I know. You and I are in it. I don't know why we go off into some of this other crap. We just do it. We're in it. We're in what people look for. I had a preacher try to find it. He went to Shuler and came back here. Came to two or three of our meetings. Talked to me. Had me talk at his church. Looking for, he was looking, he was looking for what we got. And could not get it. Could not get it. You and I are in it. And you know what you would, you thought you were out there supposed to be coming sufficient. Supposed to be getting educated, supposed to be learning something to make a living, supposed to be having children, supposed to be... You weren't doing that at all. That's just what you thought you were supposed to be doing. You were doing exactly what you were supposed to be doing. What? Fail. Come, become... How are you going to know Almighty God? You must become, live to the experience of one period in your life to become helpless. And that's what you and I did. And we did it. Doctor ain't got guts to do it. We got it. <laughs> they won't do it. And we made sure. Were you thaw before you got here? You betcha. <laughs> did a little good job laying that bed, didn't you? That's pretty helpless. That's it. You did it. We did it. No matter what we did. See, I know, I know that without a shadow of a doubt, probably before we was born, 
Almighty God had us in the palm of his hand. You and I did everything we could do to destroy ourselves and everybody around us that would hang with us. Could we do it? Could not do it. Why? Because Almighty God chose us without a shadow of a doubt to be his children. And he had us in the palm of his hand all the time. We wasn't going to destroy ourselves. We couldn't because we were his. And that's the only purpose that we're here for today is to fulfill what he created us to do. And we had to get properly prepared to go through the toughest God program available to a human being today. One that's going to take every flaw out of us. Because go through the experience, which is the only way you get it, is going through the experience of this way of life that God designed just for you and me. Just He, he picked it out just for you and I. How come you got here? Because he sent you here. <laughs> One thing. Were you out there thinking, I've got to have a car wreck Tuesday night because I'm going to be a day late today? <laughs> no, you didn't know where you were going. You got to where you needed to go without knowing where you were going. So if that's the case, it's none of your damn business where you're going after you get here. <laughs> so that's what I need to know. I see, you don't know the thing you and I didn't know? The thing you and I did not know that you and I have to know. That God's children have to know. They have to know that God loves them. And we didn't know it. And see, I know I know that today. And I was driving one day when God just let come in that car and said, you know what you and your friends don't know? Y'all don't know I love you. And I've loved you from the very beginning. And he said, I'm going to tell you something. You're my chosen people. Without a shadow of a doubt, I chose you to be mine. And you were never going to fit into the world because my people don't fit in the world. My people are to meet together and let me send them out to do whatever it is I have for them to do. And 90% of the time, they're not going to know what they're doing. <laughs> but that's, and I'm going to bring them from every walk of life. And they would never have fit together. But I'm bringing them in to meet together and create my kingdom on earth. And in the meantime, I'll redo y'all and remake you so you'll be exactly like I wanted you to be in the first place. And I'll recreate you and give you some sweet stuff along the road. And he says, now I want you to know you're living in the power that only my children live in. No one else has it but my children. My children have the power that wins. He says, you're going to have to lose some battles now. You lost the game like you were supposed to. And you won some battles. And now you've won the game. And I want you to live through the experience to lose those old worldly battles so you can be exactly like I created you to be. He says, I'll never fail you. When you call one another, I'll be there. When you meet together, invite me in, I'll be there. He said, right now, you know I love you. And you know that you love me at times. But the difference is you. It's you. I could have gone to ten different denominations in a thousand different churches. And my life was never to be any different until God sent me to be with you. And it never fails us. Never does it fail us. When you and I meet together, that power comes alive within us. That Holy Spirit that God himself that lives in every one of us as he brought us together. Just like it has been here. 
and I can feel you loving me and me loving you. Thank you very much.